Welcome to Women in Leadership Talk, where you'll hear from successful women who are empowering other women with their stories of adversity, resiliency, and success. And here is your host, Vicki Bradley, founder and CEO of Women in Leadership Empowered. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women in Leadership Talk podcast. We are excited to have Summer Davies here with us today, all the way from Colorado, where it's like really hot right now, right, Summer? That's right. That's right. Awesome. Well, we're thrilled to have you. So thanks so much for joining us. And we want to thank our audience for joining us. Uh, We know you have a choice as to what podcast you listen to. And today we're going to be talking about micromanagement, which I think is a a hot topic. And a lot of people, you know, kind of cringe when they hear that, uh, you know, that dreaded micromanaging. So I'm excited, Summer, for us to get into that and uh, just get some insight from you on, you know, how we can you know, how do we see the signs, but how do we also help to shift from being a micromanager? Uh, But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about your background and give our audience some context. So Summer is an award-winning leadership development expert. She's got 15 years of experience in cultivating thriving work environments where individuals feel equipped, capable, valued, and connected. Um, And that's a big, that's a big ask. (laughs) So good for you, Summer. She was raised in a household that often struggled financially, and Summer grew up in Boulder, Colorado, where she discovered her passion for horses during the 90s. And despite her initial intention to work in the equestrian industry, fate led her to a leadership role early in her career. And I I really purposefully wanted to call that out because sometimes we are put in roles that we weren't planning on, and um, you know, it's important how we maximize, how we maximize that and how we learn from that. But despite her intention, um, you know, she went in and qualified in an experience, but embarked on a trial by fire journey that ignited her passion for helping others to learn and to lead skillfully and effectively. Um, so, you know, you've learned boots on the ground <laughs> and we're excited to learn more about that today. And so throughout her impressive career, she's had the privilege of coaching, teaching, and studying leaders from around the globe. Her unique depth and breadth of experience has fostered an unending passion for helping managers embody the leader they aspire to be while enjoying the process of leading. So beautiful, beautiful resume, let's say, Summer, and and thanks for joining us. And I always love hearing somebody's story because, you know, when we share our story, that helps other people see that they're not alone, number one, and, you know, how you have that ability to choose and reframe that into something more passionate and purposeful, which is what I hear from you. Mm -hmm. So do you want to start with just maybe sharing with us a little bit about your background and um, when you had that epiphany (laughs) and, and how that's shifted your life, really? Absolutely. Well, I am so excited to be here. I know this is a this is a fun topic. It's it's something I find I talk with my clients and with people in leadership about almost every day. So it's it's pretty front of mind for many folks. Just a little bit about you know how I ended up here. The bio is a beautiful way of saying I came from kind of a rugged background, and my intention was to breed racehorses. Um, it's not what ended up happening. And at 23, I was offered a job and they wanted me to come in and lead a veterinary hospital. And I was excited about it because I'm an animal person and was kind of connected to my background. So I said, yes, not knowing really what I was saying yes to. 
And I was put in charge of this veterinary hospital. We had tons of veterinarians and vet techs and receptionists. It was a really big operation. And I had no business running this establishment. I had no training or background in leading others. Um, I really didn't have a whole lot of really strong communication skills. I was very, very young. And for quite a while, I was, it was kind of a mess. And working for me was definitely a painful experience in those early days. And over time, what eventually happened is I started to identify that the problem was my skill set and I was going to have to be the one to go and fix it. So I, this was back in the days when you wanted to fix something, you went to Barnes and Noble and you bought a book about it, um, which is what I did. <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> it was a long time ago. And, and what I started to do was just apply some of these very simple principles of how do you lead people? How do you make work be purposeful and meaningful when people come into to your establishment every day. And at, at that early stage, I just kind of thought, well, of course, you know, getting paid should be enough, right? That should be good enough. And the answer obviously is it's not right. And, um, and so it gave me the opportunity to then go on and, and continue to offer leadership development and, and, and deepen my knowledge and experience with that all the way up until I was leading a global organization, uh, looking at leadership development for 140,000 people across the globe, which was amazing. And such a great opportunity to see the consistency in leadership, Mm -hmm. whether you're leading people in Tokyo or in Topeka, there are so many similarities and consistencies in that it's been just a fun ride to be able to learn and grow and, and now share Uh, those insights. That's amazing. Amazing. And, you know, rocky road, I'm sure. (laughs) But sometimes those rocky roads are the best learning grounds, right? Because we learn a lot of what's not working and and what not to do that helps us become the the actual leaders that we want to be. And I love that you're you're now taking that and gifting that to many others and, and helping them to be better leaders. So, You know, one of the reasons I I thought we would have a really interesting conversation today is to get into micromanagement. You know, we've all seen that in our careers and and have been guilty, you know, in my younger days in my own career. But I thought it'd be helpful if we talk about why we think leaders or I would say more managers tend to micromanage. um, and, And, you know, what are some of the signs that you're being micromanaged? Yeah, I would I would start with the first why because I think that's a really important place to start. the The first place I look to is where's this coming from and what's causing this behavior. And in my experience, and I've worked with a lot of leaders, I have never ever worked with a single leader who has said to me, "Gosh, I really hope I'm a micromanager. Like that is my intention to come into work every day." I'm going to get like all up in my people's business. I'm going to belittle their work if I don't agree with it. I'm not going to create any space for innovation. And I'm just going to really erode trust today. That's my, that's my, Mm -hmm. nobody says that. Right. And yet we see many, many managers with exactly that behavior in the workplace. And so that is really important to remember that most often micromanagement is an unintentional behavior. And even more importantly, most often it comes from 
a well-intended place and that intention is just not matching the impact. So if we back up a little bit further into organizational behavior, very often in organizations, what we do is we promote the strongest technical performer. So if you're the best accountant, there's a good chance they're going to promote you to lead a team of accountants, which is cool. And as far as I know, being the best accountant does not translate to being a good leader in any way, shape, or form. You might have some just natural things that you've picked up through your life experience or something, but those skills that you need to be an effective leader, things like giving feedback, delegating work, growing others, building trust, (laughs) empathy, all these things you may not have learned in your role and the things that you were so great at previously as a technical performer may no longer be of value. And so often organizations make the choice to promote somebody based on technical proficiency, and then they don't take the time to help that individual understand how do you add value now? You added value before by solving problems, having all the answers, all that type of stuff. Now your role is different. And that intentional shift in thinking often gets missed. And if it gets missed at the transition point from individual contributor to a leader of others, it's really hard to catch back up. And so what happens is you've got these great technical performers who see a problem. Previously, they added value by solving that problem. So they just continue to try to add value the way they did before. And that is not useful. The other reason that that can sometimes come up is they genuinely think they're helping. They genuinely think giving you the answers, solving the problems, telling you how to do it is helpful without considering what does this person actually want or need from me in this moment? What is their commitment to the task? What is their capability in this area? And how do I shift my leadership style to meet their need? So, so often micromanagement is just an inappropriately placed good intention mm-hmm. that ends up creating really negative outcomes. So that's that's some of why I see micromanagement happen. And I think that that's so important to recognize the good intention behind it, that these are not bad people or mean managers. They're just folks whose intention is not lining up with the impact that they're yeah. having. Wow. I love how you describe that. And I think that's so important yeah. because you're absolutely right. It's not intentional to do that. And sometimes the, the amount of stress and pressure also that's on you to be a continued great performer or the mandates of the organization. Like it, sometimes people think it's easier and faster just to tell people what to do versus spending that time helping them develop critical thinking skills and and, you know, really unpacking what the problem is and how might be the best way to approach it. So what happens if all of a sudden you have this leader or this manager who is micromanaging you and you feel like you're suffocating to death? Um, you know, what, how would you, how could you go about having that conversation with that leader? Well, this can be a really tricky one because again, often we don't want to sit someone down and say, hey, you're a micromanager and I don't like working for you. That's not, that's not going to be <laughs> productive. <the> <laughs> Instead, what seems to work really well for employees who are reporting to somebody who are overmanaging them is to sit down and say, hey, let's talk through the objectives of this particular task. Let me share with you what skill sets I'm bringing, what a great outcome looks like, and then let's partner together to talk about the type of support that I need. And being able to just articulate, this is the type of support I need is a really powerful phrase, especially, well, for all for all leaders, but I definitely find women 
struggle to say really quickly, I or really clearly, this is the support I need in this moment on this task. On another task, in another situation, I might need something different, but the type of support, the way you can help me looks like this. And if you can clearly articulate that, that can really help your manager come along with you to say, hey, here, maybe I do need a lot of direction. I need step-by-step instruction. And on this task over here, I've got some really creative ideas. Let's agree on what a great outcome is and give me the runway to get there on my own. And if you can have that conversation, it it just can really change the tone of the relationship Mm -hmm. dramatically. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Even just the way you frame that, like, I think that that creates a space of openness, right? And, and that approachability to be able to say, you know, without saying you're a micromanager, <laughs> you're you're saying you're you're micromanaging me, and I don't need it on this. Mm-hmm. I, you know, one of the things I want to go back to the per, the micromanager because I think that you know that's also a very difficult position for somebody to be in. If when you and and like you, I see this often where that solo contributor excels, over excels, and the company's like, oh my gosh, they're amazing. We need to replicate them. So let's make them the leader. What about the emotional, uh, I don't want to say baggage, but the emotional roller coaster that they go through, you know, when they've been that amazing contributor to all of a sudden, they're trying to figure out how do I how do I replicate myself without micromanaging them? So often that conversation just gets entirely skipped. So organizations can assume that managers understand, hey, what we want you to do is create a team of individuals whose collective output is greater than their individual output and then the individual output you could have made. That's the goal here, right? But then that requires that individual, the new manager, to understand how do I develop others? How do I build trust? How do I drive collaboration amongst a team? All of these skills, which are absolutely learnable skills, if we've missed the conversation of, hey, you add value by creating an even more productive unit than you individually by replicating yourself, and this is what that looks like, and so on. If we've missed that conversation, which so often it is missed, then it's very, very hard for that manager to then understand, okay, how do I do that? What skills do I need? And the really big struggle is, and this sounds a little bit uh, like it's like it's a fire. And in my mind, it, it often is a fire in an organization, but most people don't see it. You really only have a short window when those neural pathways are brand new. That person is in that new role. They're building the behaviors. They're trying to get it right, right out of the gate. And if they don't get development and skill building in those first weeks or months, then the rest of their managerial career is rewiring the neural pathways, which gets into all sorts of nerdy brain science and all that type of stuff. But the important thing- I'm to totally know into is, that, Summer. Just saying. <laughs> it's really powerful. Yeah. And it, it's not to say that you can't change those behaviors. You can't help those people, but it is so much easier to do it right at the beginning and help them be successful right out of the gate, even before they get promoted. And organizations are are pressed for time. They're pressed for resources. They're pressed for the ability to do those things. So there's lots of good reasons why often that gets missed. And in my mind, if, as we start looking at what's going on in the war for talent, if we start looking at what's going on with the shift in generational workforce it will become 
one of the absolute game changers for organizations that are successful in sourcing talent in this new environment and organizations who are not. So for so many reasons, it becomes just really critical. Yeah, I, I already see that happening, that, you know, the companies who invest time, money, resource, energy into develop it, developing those emerging leaders, they are much further ahead than those who don't or those who don't see it, if, if they're still focused on the way they've always done it, instead of really making that investment. And, um, you know, people want to work for companies that value them that, you know, put investment into them um, and that they see a pathway to be able to grow. And and growing doesn't always mean promotion, right? It's growing as an individual, growing as a contributor independently, but also collectively. Like all of those pieces are are so important. Um, So, you know, one of the things that is a challenge is how to align with that team right? And, and, you know, I know there's a lot of pros and cons, and maybe we just talk about that a little bit. And what should people be looking out for, right? Like you talked about trust earlier, like that's a big one. And so how do you align without always having to be the yes person, (laughs) right? Yeah. So if I'm working with a manager, and actually I was just working with a manager who's struggling in this in this space. And she does not yet recognize that she is micromanaging her team and it's causing problems. Mm. And so some of the things that we start to look at are when you're having conversations, what percentage of the time are you solving someone else's problem? That's a huge red flag. If, if you've got a manager who starts saying, gosh, I spend so much of my time solving everyone's problems. They just come to me with questions and problems, never solutions. They may do that because they have learned that you will do that for them and you eroded the trust in their own ability to solve problems. So that can be a red flag that, hey, we've got some micromanagement going on here. Or we start to see really high turnover numbers. And when people are going away and they do an exit interview, they may say things like, I didn't feel like there was trust on the team. I didn't experience that there was space for diversity of thought on the team. Those those types of words, that type of language can be a very strong indicator that you've got a micromanager happening. And so the very first place to start is helping that individual understand how do they add value Um, which we talked about a little bit earlier, and then start giving them some of the skills to be able to identify, how do I want to flex my style? There's very old research that came from um, situational leadership folks that Mm -hmm. says that most managers only use one style all the time. And so that means the majority of people aren't getting what they need. There's also some really recent data that just came out showing that that impact of managers who have an inflexibility of style is causing major impacts on the workplace. Uh, Gallup just released a state of the workplace study that said only about 23% of people are reporting that they're thriving in the workplace. So when you start looking at some of the statistics and some of that type of data, that can also tell us that we've got a problem going on. Um, Microsoft just released a bunch of really great data. And actually most people don't know this, but you can get data on how many meetings people are attending and how much time they're spending on Teams. Microsoft can also tell you uh, how much time they're spending multitasking when they're in a Teams meeting. And when you start to see that type of Mm. going up and it's a little bit big brother and we've got to embrace the power of AI. Um, A lot lot big brother. (laughs) For 
sure. But you know, right? If you're in a meeting with someone, you know, if they're typing on the side, if they're not fully engaged, you don't need the system to tell you that. Um, so helping managers start to identify, oh my gosh, we're spending so much time in meetings rather than doing. We are spending so much time where people, one or two voices are showing up on the Zoom call and there's a team of six, right? Those are indications that, gosh, if you equip that manager with collaboration skills, the ability to identify how and when to collaborate, if you equip that manager with just some very basic skills around developing others, totally change the conversation yeah. and change the dynamic on the team pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some really important messages that you're sharing. I haven't seen the Microsoft study, but I definitely... I follow Gallup religiously and, and read the workplace, you know, surveys that they did. And it's pretty eye-opening when you see the high level of disengagement that there is um, and the unhappiness that's happening in the workforce. And, and so it, it, it does beg the question, how do we start to shift that? Right? How do you how do you get people to be more engaged? And you you highlighted a couple of things, which I'm a big believer of myself, is building that trust and you know, really helping individuals understand their contribution is important. So I hear you, I see you, you're valuable, and what you're sharing is valuable. Doesn't always mean we agree on it, but it's how to articulate that. And you know, from my lens, like the biggest thing I see is is that people struggle with their communication, right? And, and, you know, when you were talking about their leadership style, that is a very traditional way of lead. It's like my way or the highway versus understanding Summer, Vicki, Mary, Susie are all very different individuals. And so I have to approach each of them in a very different way. And, and what does my style need to be for each of them? Um, and so there's a, I think, you know, and you hit on this earlier about the intention and the impact, you know, it's being able to describe how that's impacting me. <laughs> and I need to understand what's your intention, right? Are you intending just to tell me what to do and you just want me to execute it? Or is your intention really to engage me and, and me get to contribute to what's actually happening? And Vicki, I love that language you just used there, because that is exactly the place I often encourage folks to go, which is use that intention language. Say things like, my intention is X, Y, and Z. How are you experiencing that? Especially for those who work in places where there has to be a high level of direction. Maybe there is, you know, things have to be done because there's regulatory compliance around it or something like that happening. There's great space to be able to say, my intention is to make sure we are in compliance with regulation. So I'd like to give you X, Y, and Z direction. How does that, how does that work for you? Yeah. Or on the opposite side of the spectrum, because we also see managers who totally abdicate and do the opposite of micromanage, say, hey, my intention is to give you some space to be creative because I believe you can come up with a better solution yes. than I could. So I'm going to give you space. You know what success looks like. And my intention is to step back. How does that work for you? Yeah. Using that intention language can break down so many barriers, especially if you've got folks who's, you know, a little anxious going into the conversation being like, oh, here we go. This lady's going to push me around again by saying, this is my intention. It opens the door for them to say, actually, that's mm -hmm. great. Or in fact, not so much, but yeah. it, that can be one of those simple phrases to help build trust. It, it, yes, absolutely. It ha helps to build the trust, but it also helps to break down those miscommunications too, right? Like I, I, one example I love to use in my, in my courses is, you know, one of my colleagues 
we were getting ready to go on a call and she texted me and she said, oh, I'll be there right at the top of the hour. And I was like, oh, I wish I could do that. But her interpretation of what I said was, you're not taking this seriously. I'm disappointed that you're not going to be before the scheduled time. Not what I said at all and was definitely not my intention. The beautiful thing, though, to your point, Summer, is she expressed that to me because she said to me how you she said, I would like to talk about that text you sent me because here's how it impacted me. Mm-hmm. Well, thank goodness she had the courage to speak up and say that because it gave me the opportunity to say, oh, my God, that's not what I meant at all. I'm actually quite envious because I can't do that. I need to have that five minutes to, to clear up what I was doing, get my head straight and move into the next conversation. Right. And and it was a big eye opener for the two of us because it really helped us understand that intention versus that impact. Mm-hmm. And so we were speaking the same language then once we brought that out into the open. And I think that's that can solve a lot of breakdowns, like communication breakdowns, when we're able to express that kind of, of language. Yeah. And, it, you know, it it doesn't um, go without a level of courage. You do have to have some courage to lean in and use that type of language. And what folks find is, gosh, once I start doing it, I, I then start doing it everywhere, right? If I start doing it with my team, maybe I start doing it at home with my spouse or my children. And you start to create this pattern of really highly communicative behavior that yes. improves your relationships across the spectrum. And when we start to see just outside of work, some of the statistics around how people are feeling about life in general, if we can find simple ways to start improving that, it's just, it's such a great outlook for us as a species, uh, which sounds very Miss America to save the world, but I think it really, (laughs) but it's very valuable. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is very true because it does have such a positive ripple effect. And, and that's what I'm hearing you say, right? Like, because yeah. you, you're shifting the narrative into a way that's much more supportive other, you know, versus being antagonistic or uh, feeling beat up, right? Because to your point, a lot of people are feeling beat up in, in, in our world right now. And so how do we shift that so that it doesn't have to be that way? And most of the time it is a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's my take on it. Yeah. I think that's right. I think going back to kind of what I talked about earlier, very few people in the workplace are actually sadistic, right? They don't yeah, come yes. to <laughs> trying to have negative impacts on others. It's just a, it's a misalignment of intention. Yeah. And in, when we can come back to that reality and remember most of the people that we work with are good people trying to do good work, yeah. just helps us have a much better experience with that acknowledgement of intention. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Assume positive intent. (laughs) Yes. Awesome. So Summer, is there anything that I didn't ask that you want to make sure the audience gets to hear? Um, You know, anything that, that you want to share that, you know, maybe, maybe one thing they could actually take away from the conversation today and, and implement themselves. I think just remembering to have the courage just to start. Just try something new. I did it right in the beginning of my career. I walked up and picked up a book and read it and tried it. Whether it's take some of the phraseology that we've discussed here, maybe try a little bit of it. Maybe it's you signed up for a LinkedIn course or or something like that, but just try one little bit of skill building and build on that over time. You don't have to wake up tomorrow as the perfect leader and have everything 
totally buttoned up. Nobody expects that. But if you just try one or two of these little bits of shifts, it can make an enormous difference in the experience you have at work and the experience it is to work for you if you're a leader. Um, I would put out there, I... I know for a lot of people, opening the window to, am I maybe micromanaging my people is scary. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an entirely anonymous and free for you to use micromanager assessment on my website. So if people oh, want to peek and see what are these behaviors and maybe do I have it, it's there. Folks can um, can grab that as a way to just start considering where do I land on the spectrum of over or under managing my people. Awesome. And share your website so that they know where to go. <laughs> Yeah. And I'll send you a link as well. It's leader-shop.com and you can find it there. You can also find me on LinkedIn. If you find me on LinkedIn and and you want me to send it to you, just connect with me and DM me. Send it there. Perfect. I love that. I love that. That's a beautiful offer audience. (laughs) So if you're not sure, or you're, maybe you're a new leader and, and you're still trying to figure out what your style is, that's a great way for you to sort of test yourself and, and see, see how you're doing so far as a leader. Awesome. Okay. Thank you, Summer. That was fantastic. Um, And, and, you know, I will also share with our audience before we wrap up here, if you're wanting to understand how you're showing up as a leader, you can also go on the willempowered.com website and you can take our free leadership quiz and it'll let you know how you're showing up and some areas that you might want to concentrate on. So they kind of go hand in hand. (laughs) Summer's going to tell you, are you micromanaging? (laughs) And I'm going to tell you what kind of leader, you know, where, where those skills might need some support, um, whether that's confidence, communication. Um, So Anyway, two great resources for you to tap into uh, from our conversation today. So Summer, thank you again. This has been terrific. I I appreciate you taking time out of this hot summer day to join us and, uh, you know, share your insight. My pleasure. And I hope it's helpful. I hope some of those little bits of, of phraseology just make a bit of a difference. Yes, indeed. And I'm sure that our audience is going to find a lot of use from it. (laughs) And let me just say thank you to our audience. And we look forward to seeing you on the next Will Talk podcast. Take care, everyone, and enjoy your day. Thank you for joining us for Will Talk, sponsored by Women in Leadership Empowered. To learn more about our programs, please visit www.willempowered.com. We look forward to seeing you in our community. 